So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thanks, Tom. Oh, great. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. I'm sorry if you don't have an off-road vehicle and you couldn't get into the parking lot. Uh, I wasn't here when Ashley did an announcement, so she probably made a joke about that already. Uh, but uh, it's just a brief uh, period in time when they are going to beautify our, the entrance to our church. It's just that, like anything, in order to look better, it takes a little bit of work, right? And so over the next couple of months, they're going to be working on that. And uh, we are actually really excited for them to have, to, for us to have a bike path that goes in front of our church and a, and a busier road. I think it'll be really good. So um, just bear with us and put it in four low on your way up the gravel. All right. Uh, good. So uh, I just wanted to piggyback off of a couple of things that Ashley said there. The first being that uh, we will be starting home groups this September. Um, we did home groups uh, last winter and spring, and we really uh, want to emphasize that again this year. Um, Christians gathering together in each other's homes is how Christians originally did church, right? And so when we neglect that aspect of what it means to be followers of Jesus, uh, we actually neglect something that was so central to the early church. And so home groups are something that we really care about and we really want to see flourish, especially as the fall comes and we are able to integrate maybe some new people into the life of our body. Home groups are a great way to do that. So if you're uh, open to that, if you're open to hosting or you're, you're open to leading, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. You can either sign up if you got a scoot or uh, you can just come talk to me and we can uh, get that underway. I know it's kind of scary that we're already talking about the fall. Many of you don't want to do that, but it's a reality, so we cannot deny it. We can't, we can't live in denial. All right, so that's number one. Number two, we have a big project beginning next Sunday, immediately following church. We are going to demo our bathrooms and put up drywall, and then over that next week, we're going to have these bathrooms remodeled. And so Oh, two Sundays. Yes, I apologize. Uh, see, a lot of things are happening in my brain. Thank you. Uh, we're, uh, we're really excited about that. And anybody who uh, can help, we would love to have you help uh, with that. We're... Uh, uh, we're going to make a uh, we're going to make a big shift in the bathrooms, and frankly, it's ne it's necessary and needed. So, uh, if you're at all an able-bodied person and you want to help with that, we would uh, we would cherish your help. You can come um, 
you can, we'll start um, really, we'll have lunch and then we'll start immediately after church and it'll be really, really good. All right? All right. So I think one of the true signs that a man is getting older is not gray hairs, it's not purchasing a home, it's not even having a lot of children. I think a man's age is directly proportional to how funny he finds dad jokes. Does anybody know about dad jokes? Uh, we all have a, a person in our life or people in our life who really love a good dad joke, right? Uh, I spent a couple days this week with two pretty much all-time dad jokers. One is my friend Larry, who's the father of my two closest childhood friends. He is just constantly full of dad jokes. It's unbelievable. And my father-in-law, every time I walk in and he's talking to Elliot, he's telling him another corny joke that I have to hear endlessly for the next week and a half after they leave. Uh, dad jokes are, uh, I think, what make you an actual older man, right, if you like them. And, what, and the, main, uh, the main apparatus in a dad joke is what is called a pun, right, a pun. Dads really, really like puns. They love plays on words. Uh, I think when you become a dad, there's this kind of chemical that's released in your brain that immediately starts associating words that are not spelled exactly the same but sound alike and coming up with strange combinations of jokes around those things. And because I am now a father and I tend to like words, I also enjoy puns a great deal. And so this morning, I put a couple up on the screen for us because why not? Uh, so, th uh, yeah, that's the definition of a pun, just for, uh, uh, just for your, if you're wondering. That's what it is. So, the first uh, dad joke, uh, two peanuts were walking down the street. One was assaulted. See? These are good. These are good. You have to laugh at them. Uh, yes, it is funny. Thank you. How do you make a Kleenex dance? You probably know this one. You put a little boogie in it. See? A bicycle, and this is pertinent to me this week, a bicycle can't stand on its own because it is too tired. Yeah? Good. <laughs> you can tune a guitar, but you can't tune a fish. It's all in the delivery. And this one is, is and this last one is a real highbrow one because it was written by Mark Twain. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, <laughs> right? Now, as far as we know, the Apostle Paul was not a father. In fact, he goes so far as to say in the scriptures that he uh, was not married and did not have kids, but he was not above the use of a good pun to get his point across. Uh, and in our teaching text for today, Paul actually uses a play on words. He uses two words that sound very similar as a, as a means of communicating to the Colossian church an idea that he was trying to get across to them. Uh, now, it's not something that you can read in the English, actually. So uh, it does, it's not readily apparent to us when we read through the text. But in verse uh, 8 of chapter 2, Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, those two words, take captive, right, in the see that no one takes you captive, are actually one word in the Greek. 
take captive is just one word in, in the Greek. And that word is syllagagon or syllagagon, depending on where you put the accent. Uh, syllagagon. And that word sounds a lot like the word, the Greek word used for the meeting place where Jewish people met to meet, called a synagogue. Or in Greek, that word is synagogue. So Paul is playing off this combination of words. He's actually putting them together. He's using this word, um, sorry, he's using this word uh, syllagogon and syllagoge as a way of saying to the church, don't be taken captive or don't be taken in to the synagogue. Does this make sense? He's, he's using this little play on words. He's using this little pun as a way of communicating to the church something real and true. Now, at this time, a, a synagogue was a Jewish place of worship. A synagogue was not the temple. The temple still existed at this time. It, it wasn't destroyed until uh, AD, the year AD 70 or the year 70. But it, uh, a synagogue was a place of worship where Jewish people who lived too far away from the temple to go there to worship would gather together and they would study the scriptures. This is, this is how they carried out their worship of God when they were away from the temple. They gathered together in a synagogue. So Paul is intentionally using this play on words here. He is actually using this little pun in order to communicate to the Colossians that he does not want them to be taken captive or taken into the synagogue. Now, what, what, does, what makes Paul want to do this little play on words, right? What makes him want to tell this Colossian church not to be drawn in or not to be taken captive by the synagogue? Why does he warn the church against being drawn into this, uh, to this place? Well, as we've been saying throughout this series, Paul is talking to this Colossian church and he's, uh, he's working actively to combat ways of thinking in, the, in, their, kind of, in their city and in, 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 even in their church. Ways of thinking that were adding rules and religious regulations on top of what it meant to follow Jesus. And one of the primary problems that these people were encountering was that Jewish zealots were telling Christians and new converts that placing your faith in Jesus and being baptized only got you halfway there. They were, there was this teaching in the church that in order to get all the way there, in order to please God fully, uh, what, you need, what Gentile Christians, Christians who came to Jesus but were not um, nationally Jewish or were not actually Jewish in nationality, what they needed to do was to begin following or taking up all of the kind of Old Testament laws and regulations that they needed to be circumcised, if you, they, the men needed to be circumcised, and they needed to begin keeping the law and following, Torah, and following the Torah, which was the first five books of our Old Testament. If you want to learn more about this kind of issue, this problem that was going, it's in the book of Acts. Specifically, Paul addresses it really clearly in Galatians. Galatia was a city that was not far from Colossae, and Paul is addressing this in multiple churches in uh, in. Asia Minor at the time, and so he addresses it very clearly in Galatians, so you can go there and get a little bit more insight. But Paul is using this little play on words as a way of telling the church not to get caught up or taken captive by any teaching that says you need more than Jesus. Any teaching that says you need to, you, on top of Jesus, you need to add more stuff, that Jesus himself, that following him and being baptized into his faith isn't enough. 
Paul's combating this idea. And what these Jewish, Jewish zealots were saying to the church was that you could receive Jesus, that you could proclaim publicly that he was Lord, that you could be baptized into the faith, and yet you would still have further things to do in order to get right with God. You would still have to uh, follow kosher food laws. You would still have to become circumcised if you were a man. All things that Paul believes are actually just a distraction from the central reality of the Christian faith, which is that Jesus is Lord. Paul warns these Christians not to get trapped by adding things to Jesus, and that when you add things to Jesus, what you are actually doing is turning your back on the new life that is available to you through Jesus and exchanging it for what he refers to as old ways. He goes so far as to say that through Christ we are made new, and newness of life and love are open to the church. But by trivializing Jesus, by trivializing his work, by adding things on top, or saying that the work of Jesus isn't enough and that I need more in order to please God, if they give in to this idea or, the, or these different philosophies or these kind of these Jewish zealot concepts of what it means to please God, then what they were actually doing was exchanging the new life that was available to them through Jesus for just a bunch of human regulations and fleshly stuff. They were exchanging the very life of God for something less than what they already had. Now, Paul addresses this really specifically in uh, verses 11 through 15, and this is the part of the reading for today that probably made you a little confused and probably slightly uncomfortable uh, because it's about the whole circumcision thing. And this isn't, uh, circumcision isn't a common metaphor in our day. It's not something we talk about all that often. And to be honest with you, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? What, what exactly is Paul talking about here? Uh, what is he saying? Why is he using this analogy of circumcision so often? And what, and what exactly is he communicating? Is, uh, what, but what he's really saying through this analogy, what, what he's really trying to get at is that there, what he's really trying to communicate to these Christians is that there is no need for Christians to be circumcised, right? Because uh, part of the reason we know that, what, that Paul was using that pun earlier in the verses was because he moves on to address this issue specifically, which is an issue that, that was being addressed by these Jewish zealots. And he says, uh, functionally, there's no need for you to give in to this, these uh, regulations and rules. There's no need for you to go back to this old way of identifying uh, yourself as a follower of Jesus, which was circumcision. You don't, you don't need that anymore. You can move past it. You see, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the, this physical sign of God's covenant with Israel. And some early Jewish Christians believed it was something you needed to do in order to be right with God. But Paul says there is uh, no more that we need to add that the physical uh, that there doesn't, we don't need to take up this uh, idea of circumcision as a physical reminder of, of chosenness. Paul uses the metaphor of circumcision and he flips it on its head in order to talk about what happens on the inside of a person when they are saved and follow Jesus. What he says here, and again, maybe more clearly in Galatians 2, is that, uh, that your whole old self, which was ruled by the flesh, he says, has been put off when you were baptized into the faith, when you were baptized into 
the faith. Now, what Paul says here in verse 12 is interesting because he kind of connects these ideas of circumcision, right? What circumcision was and what it stood for. And he he connects it to the idea of baptism. He connects it to the idea of baptism. He kind of says that when you place your faith in Jesus and are baptized into the church, you are stepping into this whole new mode of existence. He says you, uh, you died with Christ when you went, went under the water, in a sense, and you were, you were raised with him when you were raised out of the water, right? This is the image he uses to describe. And your baptism, and now he says, which is interesting, because he's kind of transitioning uh, the, what, what circumcision is, and he's, he's, um, he's tying it into baptism in some really interesting way. And what he says here is your baptism, not your circumcision, serves as the physical reminder of who you are in Christ. In the same way that circumcision stood as a physical reminder to a Jewish man that he was different, right? That he belonged to the people of God. Baptism serves as a physical, continual reminder that you are a Christian, that you're a Christian person. That your old self and the self that was controlled by the old ways of thinking and acting have now been made new through the work of Jesus on your behalf. And knowing this, it's no wonder that he's calling these Colossian people back to their baptism, right? Because he wants to remind them of the life that they have in Christ. And so he reminds them of what? Their baptism. Fascinating, isn't it? So for Paul, Christians are people who are baptized, Right? Christians are people who are baptized. And this will be very important for us here today. Baptism is one of two ordinances of the church. Often these are sometimes called sacraments as well. That Jesus enacted, Jesus himself instructed the church to do. And that all Christians, all Christians are called to participate in baptism. So we believe, really, and really all Christians believe this. That baptism is not a religious ritual that magically makes you a Christian, but it is the sign and seal of what has happened between you, God, and the church. So there's more than it's more than just you and God here. And it is your inauguration, or maybe a better term is graduation, into the church. Yeah, you know that when you become a doctor, they make you take, and I would know this because I no, that's a joke. You didn't know this, but I'm also a doctor. Um, uh, that you make, you, when you become a doctor, they make you take a Hippocratic oath, right? They make you take an oath. You know, the oath that says, I will, need, I will do no harm, essentially. And that you're not officially a doctor until you take that oath, right? Now, uh, it's not that you, in some real sense, aren't already a doctor, right? You have taken all the classes and you know all the parts of the human, the human anatomy, and you can do all of the doctor things already, right? You're, you're capable of being a doctor before you take the Hippocratic Oath, right? You have all the knowledge that a doctor has, but the Hippocratic Oath is your graduation into the society of doctors, right? And in the same way, baptism is a public confession and inauguration into the church of Jesus Christ. And it is something that every person who confesses faith in Jesus needs to do. They need to do. In order to be a member of the church, in order to be a member of this church, technically a member of this church, you need to be baptized. Now, there are a lot of questions that arise out of this issue 
And Christians have, unsurprisingly, had some disagreements about how exactly this all works down through time. But we believe that people who were, who were baptized as, as infants, so um, very often there are Christian traditions where infants themselves are baptized, so uh, certain denominations like Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian people will baptize infants. But we believe here at this church, and there are a long line of other Christians who believe this as well, that if you were baptized as an infant, you are invited to have what is called a believer's baptism, which is a, which is a you are invited to be re-baptized as a confessing believer in Jesus, which means that if you were baptized as an infant, we do think it's appropriate that you be re-baptized. We don't think it's mandatory. It's, it is, can be an issue of conscience for you. Uh, my own mother was baptized into the Catholic Church and hasn't been rebaptized because she said that's good for me, right? So it, it is an issue between you and God to a certain extent. But we do believe it is appropriate. As you commit your life to follow Jesus as a Christian, uh, baptism is this vitally, vitally important piece. And what this means for us here at Grace Community Church is that if you are here and you believe in Jesus but have not been baptized, we really think it's important that you do that. Very, very important, actually. It is the covenant-making action that signals that you have left behind your old self, you have died to it, in fact, and in going down under the water, uh, you have died to it, in fact, and going down into the water, and your new self, in the words of Paul in verse 12, is raised with Christ through faith in the working of God when you come back out of the water. It's this beautiful, beautiful symbol and sign. For Christians, the sign that they have been raised with Christ is no, is no longer circumcision. It's no longer following uh, the law. It is, rather, baptism. Baptism is not something we do multiple times it is about, in the words of Jesus in John 3, being born again of spirit and of water. It's this beautiful seal and sign. And I promise it is, the most, it is one of the most powerful things, if you haven't already been baptized, it is one of the most powerful and transformative things you will ever do in the entirety of your life. Baptizing people into the Christian faith is my absolute favorite thing to do as a pastor. Uh, I've had the privilege of doing it multiple times, and every single time, the significance and the power of a baptism strikes me. It's so incredibly moving, and it's so, it is such a good, good thing. It really, really is. And I would like to talk to you about that. If what we've said here today is in any way, shape, or form stirred to anything in you, I would love to talk to you about that today. I'd love to come you can come talk to me. If you need to scoot again after church, uh, we do have a sign-up. You can just jot your name down there, and I'll be back in contact with you. But today, if you're in this room and you follow Jesus, you've met him, and you have not been baptized, it's your time. All right? So come talk to me. All right. Okay? All right. That was a little baptismal service announcement, I suppose. Good. So... What Paul is doing with this little talk on baptism is reminding these Christians, reminding these Christians who have, in some real and true sense, forgotten about their baptism and forgotten about what it, what it symbolized, 
reminding these Christians who have already been baptized that they need to remember what has happened to them. They have committed their lives to follow Jesus in faith. They have been baptized into his church. They have received, they have already received new life. And now they must walk in that newness of life. They should not turn away from the newness of life that they have received. They should not turn away from uh, the gift that they have received from Jesus and turn to other, quote, spiritual things, right? They should not turn to other religious rules and regulations. Paul says that they don't need to add anything to Jesus, They don't need to, uh, but what they do need to do is be reminded of what God has already done for them in Jesus and what was sealed in them at their baptism. A whole new mode of existence, a whole new way of being has been opened up to these people in this Colossian church, and they need to be reminded of that reality. Paul says specifically to them at the end of our, our verses for today, that God, through Christ, has forgiven their sins, that he has defeated every power that can keep them captive or broken, and that he is offering them new life, and all they need to do is walk in it. This is what Paul is trying to remind this church about. He says, don't forget the newness of life you have stepped into. Don't forget, uh, uh, don't forget, don't trust some pale imitation Jesus is Lord. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the one that has and will continue to set you free. And don't you dare forget it, is kind of what Paul is attempting to communicate here. The church has been uh, subsist. This church, this church that Paul is speaking to, has in some real and true sense been subsisting on some pale imitation of real life when they give themselves over to things that aren't or are what they believe to be more than Jesus. And Paul is calling them back from, this, uh, from living on uh, this kind of pale and anemic spiritual diet into something fuller and more meaningful. It's almost like they were living on food stamps when they had in their bank account a million dollars. Does this make sense? They were living on something so much more paltry, so much more insignificant than, than, the, than the inheritance that they had at their very fingertips, and they could not see it, and they would not take it. And so Paul says, come on, it's yours. All, uh, all you have to do is grab it. All you have to do is live it. All you have to do is walk it out. New life, not old religion. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So, This passage has some pretty powerful implications for us, I think, doesn't it? Maybe uh, you need to be baptized into the newness of life, right? Maybe, Maybe that's you, and you need to do that. Or maybe you need to take the first step, which is placing your faith uh, in Jesus, right? Maybe you need to renew your faith in Jesus this morning. Maybe you have faith in Jesus... And maybe you've even been baptized into the faith, but you feel deep down in your heart that you have not, in some real and true sense, been walking in the new life that's been made available to you through Christ, that you haven't been accessing that power that is at your very fingertips, that you've been, in some real and true sense, turning a blind eye to the power, the very power and life of God, and have been choosing to subside off of some other thing. Maybe it's religious rules. Maybe it's just 
life in general. Maybe you've been finding your treasure and significance in something other than Jesus. And today, you need to be reminded of the fact that real and true life, life and life to the full, in the words of Jesus, is not found in anything other than him. That in Jesus, a kind of new world has broken into our existence, and it is open and available to you. You will not get superpowers, unfortunately, in terms of flight and super strength, though I do have super strength. At least my son thinks I do. Uh, But you will access a new mode of life. You will live into the new heart that the scripture says is given to you via the Spirit, by the work of Jesus on the cross. You will uh, walk out from under condemnation and sin as Christ who, through his work on the cross, has reconciled you to God and forgiven your indebtedness to sin, right? These are all benefits of what it means to follow Jesus. And so often in our lives, what we have done is we have walked away. We have forgotten. We have not been reminded of the life that is available to us through Jesus. We have, not, we have, we have forgot the fact that we are citizens of a new world, a new mode of being, a new life. And that we are called by the person of Jesus to walk in that reality. We turn out to be a whole heck of a lot like the Colossians. We, in our own way, build rules and regulations. We build religious systems around our faith in Jesus. And we depend on those things rather than the life that is available to us via the Spirit of God and via the new heart that's been placed within us. So often we do this just naturally, right? Humans love routines, right? So I depend on the fact that this, I, I, eat, I drink the same green smoothie every morning for breakfast and that I know what my routine is and I know by and large where I'm going to get my life, right? We do this naturally. We, we build up things and we make ourselves dependent on things other than Jesus. And to us today, Paul, the scripture would say, why are you looking to any other thing any other thing is the source of your life. Why depend on anything other than Jesus? What's the point? Be a Jesus person. Pursue his way of life. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Love the poor and the oppressed. Live for something greater than yourself. Something so much more rewarding than your own comfort or your own well-being or your own ritual. Become the person that Christ would have you to be because he has won the world. He's making all things new and has decided to begin with your heart. God is making all things new and he wants to begin with you and he wants you to step into the reality of life that he's prepared. You know, very often, uh, very often, I think, when Paul gives this critique of the church in Colossae, and he says, like, you've been giving, your, giving yourself over to a form of religiosity that has actually distracted you from the reality of the life and the power that is available to you in Jesus. You know, I think we're all very susceptible to this thing. I really do. I feel it in my own heart, right? That, that in some real and true sense, like, I just, I, I'm just naturally predisposed to depend on things other than Jesus. Like, I'm just, I'm just naturally uh, predisposed to depend on my own ingenuity, right? Not that I'm that ingenious. But uh, I'm de- I, I depend on, on uh, 
other things to make me feel good or significant or valuable, right? I depend on other things to give me the, give me the authority or the strength to get the job done. But all the time, Jesus is calling to us, saying, I've given you a new heart and a new mind. I have opened up this new life to you, and it is yours in some real and true sense. It is yours. And so what I want to do this morning is just pray for us. I want to pray for us. So if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes for a moment. Here's what I know to be true, that we are all this way, that the Colossian church wasn't a particularly bad one, but that they were all this way, that we are all in some real and true sense like them. We're given to depending on things other than Jesus and looking to other things as the source of our lives. And what we're actually doing is exchanging the very life of God for something less significant. So this morning, I just want to make this uh, call available. If you're in the room today, if you're in the room today, and you would say, Nick, I have actually never placed my faith in Jesus. I have been subsiding for the entirety on my, of my life on something other than the energy of the new and new life that is available to me through the person of Jesus. I have not placed my faith in him. I have not committed to follow him with my life, and today I want to do that. To, to this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you, would you just raise a hand as everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed? Would you raise a hand just so that I can see it? I'd like to pray for you this morning. I'd like to pray for you. Amen. Amen. In the second piece this morning is just do you identify with the Colossian church? Have you, in some real and true sense, exchanged the life that is available to you through the person of Jesus for something else? Have you depended on something other than him as, the sor as a source or the source of your life? And if that's you, I just want to, as, just as an act of surrender, would you raise your hand this morning? Doesn't mean you're not a Christian just means I see it. Amen. Amen. I see those hands. Jesus, this morning we acknowledge that we are fallible. We are broken in so many ways. And that we are pulled away from this central reality that you are the king and the creator of the world. And Father, uh, this morning we recommit again that we need to follow you. We need to know you to receive our life from you. We believe, God, uh, that at your death and resurrection, a whole new world was opened. A whole new mode of existence was made available to us. And so this morning, God, we ask for your help. Would you help us to step into that? Would you help us to live into that? And by virtue of our, of our connection to Jesus, as, as our connection to the image of the invisible God, that we would in some real and true sense be your witnesses in this place, on this earth. That we would point to you. That we would be like little signposts pointing to the reality of the new life that is available through Christ. And that this church, as a body of assembled Christians would be that witness out into our world, out into our community. Jesus, we love you. 
And we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name. Amen. And amen. And amen. So, if you do need to be baptized, if you feel that in your bones, if you follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, please come talk to me. I'd like to help you rectify that situation. So go today in the grace. Oh, and if you want to buy a shirt, Ashley will be out there. So, uh, yeah, purchase a t-shirt. It'll be good. It's like free advertising, and it's a t-shirt, so it's great. All right, go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus. Amen.